Thank you, choir. Thank you, orchestra. So we are into week two of something we're calling the 90-day challenge. And uh, for those of you who are visiting this morning, we are challenging our church and, and our friends to be reading one gospel chapter every day. There are four gospels. There are 89 chapters in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if we read one chapter a day by Palm Sunday, we will have read all four of the gospels of Jesus. And uh, we're uh, using these journals, and we have reprinted them twice and run out of them again, so we got another 200 back there. If you have friends or you haven't picked one up, pick one up. Inside you'll find an opportunity to write down two simple things. When you read through the chapter, say, what did I learn about Jesus? And what do I learn about the way Jesus makes disciples, about disciple-making? I, um, I don't know why I should be so surprised, but I have really been amazed at, at the buzz that this has created. I am hearing about it from all over the place. I'm hearing community folks walking in on a coffee shop and finding people with their 90-day journals out in front of them, and they're studying the Word together. I did something that has been really exciting for me. I I contacted my son, Cooper, at Whitworth. I said, son, would you like to to do the 90-day challenge with me? You know, and I, I didn't know how he would respond. He jumped on it. And so every day, I do it early in the morning, he does it late at night, we do it when best we function, and we send these uh, back and forth. This has been the most sustained, ongoing spiritual conversation that I've ever had in my, son, in my son's 19 years of life. All because of this simple thing. It would be a, a tip for you who have loved ones that are far away. Ask them, would you like to do this with me? And uh, start right in. It's never too late. It's never too late. So it's been uh, tremendous for me. I wonder how it's been for you. So two weeks in, let me just ask, how many at least sometime this last week read some of the chapters of the 90-day challenge? Good for you. How many read all seven chapters? Awesome. Great job. Anybody go to the blog and read my unbelievably wise and profound comments? Yeah. This is great. This is terrific. You know we will be a different church because of this, don't you? As we dig into God's Word and spend this time together. You know, this is really adult education at its best because you are writing blogs. You are commenting back and forth. You are learning and teaching each other. You're not just sitting here receiving it. You are engaged in it. And I just can't believe this is going to do anything but strengthen us as a church body. So I'm really proud of you. Keep up the good work. 90 days is a long time. Two weeks is where we are. But all the way, all the way to the end, okay? We are, of course, preaching out of those seven chapters that precede us. So this week we're preaching on chapter 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. And um, you can't preach on everything, but what we are preaching on is themes that we see rising out of those those seven chapters that tell us something about the way that Jesus makes disciples, okay? And uh, that is our journey together. We have shared that for the next decade we're going to be focused on this idea of disciples making disciples, and of course, I realize that we are all at different stages in our spiritual maturity. So some are younger in the Lord, some are, are more mature in the Lord. And so we each have to approach this task of discipleship and disciple making at our own level. But for all of us, the same principles apply. And if you're going to obey the call of Jesus to be a disciple maker, then the best place to start is to look at how Jesus himself made disciples. So we are looking at those principles that come out of this teaching. Last week, we looked at the first principle of disciple-making. What does Jesus teach us? That you have to be what? Intentional. You actually remember. Do you know what that does for your pastor's heart? Awesome. Say intentional. Intentional. Jesus lived his life intentionally, on purpose. 
He didn't just bounce around. He didn't float around hoping that something good would happen. He had his head on a swivel. He prayed and he looked for the ways that God would lead him to the people that he was supposed to pour his life into. And Jesus calls us then to live intentional lives. Not like that pinball that we looked at, bouncing about from thing to thing, spiritual experience to spiritual experience. But instead, we dare to think, should I live my spiritual life on purpose? Should I invest myself in the lives of others on purpose? It is the starting point. If you don't live your spiritual life on purpose, you will never be the person God wants you to be. And you will never make the disciples God wants you to make. So, first of all, we are intentional. This morning, we come to the second equally important uh, concept, okay? And it is these two you will hear like a broken record from us. Intentional is the first thing, and relational is the second. Would you say it? Jesus made disciples relationally. He made disciples by being with people. And you might say to yourself, that is the biggest duh that I have ever heard. In all of the history of sermon writing, that is the biggest duh. Jesus made disciples being with people. Duh! Of course he did. Ah, but, oh my gosh. I missed a story that I got to tell you. I Back up. Forget what I just said. <laughs> Good morning, Chapel Hill. Good to have you here. We have engaged... <laughs> I want to talk about something intentional. I, I, uh, it was the most, one of the most intense intentional moments that I think I've ever had. I had it at a restaurant last week. I was back in Orlando with a group of large church pastors. And we sat down together. And, uh, and Charles was the waiter who came to us. And, and he was waiting on us. I had gator tail for the first time. How many have ever had gator tail? It's a little chewy. But it's not bad. Yeah. I, what's tough is pulling them out of the aquarium after you choose the one that you want. Anyway, Charles comes and he waits on us and, um, and, and he serves us our meal. And one of our pastor friends said, Charles, we're about to pray and thank God for the food. But before we do, uh, could we pray for you? What could we pray about in your life? Charles looked like he had a high-powered hunting rifle aimed between his eyes. <laughs> it was the longest, quietest, tensest moment I have ever experienced in a restaurant. But my friend would not let up. He said, Charles, we'd really like to pray for you. How can we pray for you? Another long moment of silence, and Charles finally said, Silently? (laughs) Aren't you glad I told that story? It's an awesome story. Here's the good punchline. At the end of the meal, by the end of the meal... Charles was sharing things out of his life. And as we walked out, across from the restaurant, Charles cried out, God bless you! I'll bet that was a first. That was living life intentionally, wasn't it? So, intentional is the first thing. Relational is the second. As I said, Jesus lived his life on purpose. He wasn't bounced around. And he calls us not to live our lives like pinballs that are bouncing from one thing to another. Uh, his, his, his second name was Emmanuel, right? God with us. And of course, Emmanuel was as good as his name. The problem is that when we read the Bible a few verses at a time, which is how we normally study the Bible, we kind of lose sight of the incredible number of relationships and settings and experiences that Jesus had. But if you read all seven chapters last week, were you kind of out of breath by the time you were done? Realize, look at all the things he did, all the places he went, all the relationships he had, all the time he spent with people. 
We read that he was in Capernaum. He was in Peter's house. He was in other Galilean villages. He went across the lake to the Gentile villages on the other side. He was next to a toll, a tax booth. He was in a boat. Not once, not twice, but three times. Did you see that? We, we just see this remarkable level of activity. Jesus healed a leper. He healed a, a servant. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. He healed two blind men. He healed a woman who was hemorrhaging. He healed a man who was paralyzed. He healed a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. He cast out a bunch of demons. And oh, by the way, he raised a dead girl to life. He calmed a storm. He walked on water. He fed thousands of people with five loaves and two fish. He battled with the Pharisees. He was rejected by his hometown people. And he grieved the execution of his cousin, John the Baptist. He trained his disciples and he sent them out. He bragged on John. He chewed out Peter. He cursed Capernaum. He encountered great faith and great doubt and great opposition and great pain and great grief and great fear. And twice at least he tried to withdraw because he was exhausted and needed to be alone. That's what we studied in this last week. All of it is Jesus plugged into the midst of this people that he came to love and care for. If the last week teaches us anything, it is Jesus' method of disciple-making is relational. He makes disciples by being with people. And when we read these last seven chapters, we would have seen twice the same motivation mentioned for why he wants to be with people. And I wonder if you noticed these two readings. We're going to choose these as kind of our core text for this morning. The first reading comes from Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 and 36. If you have your Bibles, open them. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 and 36. I want you to pay attention for the common motivation for this desire to be present, to be relational with people. Matthew nine thirty-five and 36. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then turn to Matthew chapter 14, also out of this week's reading, verse 13 and 14. When Jesus had heard this, that is that John the Baptist had been executed, he withdrew by boat, by, by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. The poor guy couldn't get away. When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed they're sick. This is the word of the Lord. Lord Jesus, would you please take these words out of this text and plant them in our hearts that we might learn from you, be like you, disciple like you discipled, so that we might make the, the disciples you have called us to make. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So did you see it? Why did Jesus make people the priority of his life? What motivated him, motivated him to spend time with people? What did we see? What drove them into the midst of their life to, to live and to teach and to heal and to grieve and to, and to suffer with them? Compassion, yes. He looked upon them and he had compassion on them for they were like sheep, what? Without a shepherd. Do you hear the heart of the great shepherd in that? 
They were not projects to him. They were people to him. Individuals, one by one, created by God. And this is the way he looks at you. He doesn't look upon you as a crowd. You are individuals to him, one by one, created by Almighty God, precious to him, redeemed by him, called by him into relationship and to service. Amazing. This is the way that Christ looked upon his people. Jesus made disciples by being relational. It is a big duh, and yet it is a duh that we miss out on. We don't know what it means to be a relational people. And this came to a a head for me. I've been thinking about disciple making for, for a year now, at least. I have Intentionally, I've been focusing on, uh, in, on my sabbatical on the question, what do I need to do to help bring my congregation to a point of, of really embracing this idea of disciple-making as a core conviction, a core mission of our church? But the more I prayed, the more I studied, the more I thought, the more I realized that God wanted to do a work in me. That there were things He needed to do in me to make me better, a better disciple-maker. And... And it, was, and it was written large and highlighted uh, at a conference that I went to three months ago. I wrote about it, and some of you might have read it in the e-bulletin last week, but it bears repeating. It was a conference on disciple-making be, being done by a, a church that really specializes in this ministry. So we took a team of ten over there, and we were there. We came, and we, we sat down, and mostly it was in small groups with co-leaders, co-facilitators. After the first day, the guys said, okay, we're going to throw away the script. Because you guys are overachievers. You clearly have read all the material. You know all the lingo. We don't have to persuade you that this is what you ought to be doing. So instead, we're going to throw away the script. And here's what we think we need to tell you. This is the most important thing that you need to understand about yourselves. Are you ready? We braced ourselves. He said, you are not as relational as you think you are. You are not as relational as you think you are. The more we talked about it, the more angry I became. I thought, you guys don't know us. You've been with us for 24 hours. You don't know what you're talking about. You're full of it. At one point, I was so mad, I actually got up at break and went outside and just walked around the parking lot because I was just ticked off. Because I'm sitting in a circle of friends, of colleagues. We, we love each other. We share our lives. We are transparent with one another. The more, though, that we talk together, the more I began to realize that they were exactly right. We weren't as relational as we thought we were. We were willing to go so deep and no deeper. And man, did this grind away at me and grind away at us. We talked about it the whole time we were there. It was a real struggle when you suddenly realize you don't have the relationships that you think you have. And when we came back, we, came, we continued to grind away on it. This was the question we were asking ourselves again and again. What does it really mean for us as a staff and as a team to be relational? Do we really make time for each other? Do we really care what each other's going through? When we walk by and say, how are you doing? And someone says, fine. And you know that there's, not, there's something behind that, fine. Do you just let it go and keep going? Or do you pause and dig in for a moment to find out what's really going on? And so it was a, it was a moment of crisis for us. What does it mean for us to live in relational community? And I realized how much of this was my issue. I'm such a task-oriented person. I am a production-oriented person. I get stuff done. You want stuff done? I'm your guy. You want a multitasker? I'm your guy. Isn't that right? You know that about me, right? I mean, I can, I can churn it out. 
But I turn it out sometimes at the cost of relationship. And I set such a fast pace that I too often don't take the time to really be with people. And the more I looked in the mirror, the more I did not like what I was discovering about myself. And so I thought, well, then what about you as a pastor, as a shepherd? And I began to realize something else that I didn't like about me. That I had become a rancher instead of a shepherd. A shepherd lives with his flock and he knows them by name and he cares for them personally. And a rancher runs a big spread and has lots of hands working for him. And he may never climb into the saddle because he doesn't need to. He has people who climb into the saddle. And of course I have to delegate. We have a community of more than 2,000 people and I can't take care of everyone. But I began to realize that I had come to hide behind the bigness of our church as an excuse for not being a shepherd. And that because I could not take care of everyone, it didn't mean that I could not take care of some. And that because I could not call everyone, it did not mean that I could not call one, or five, or ten. And the more I struggled with this revelation the more I began to remember that I went into this business because I wanted to be a shepherd. I went into this line of work because I loved people, had a relationship people with people, and I wanted that. And yet over the years, I have outsourced more and more of my shepherding responsibilities and become more of a rancher. And a rancher, by definition, is not relational. He can't be. <clears throat> so put it in the religious lingo, this sucked. (laughs) Thank you. And I didn't like what I was seeing there. And so I thought, well, Lord, what are you going to do? Besides praying, I decided the only thing I knew how to do, and that is, if you want to change your heart, you change your habits. You do understand that, right? If you want to change your heart, you change your habits. You do different things than you've always done before. And so, I began to change my habits. I intentionally, when, someone, when I ask someone, how are you, and they pause or they grimace or whatever, I stop. I'll stop in the hallway. Say, tell me what you mean by that. I don't believe you. You're not fine. Let's talk about that. Every week, I'm trying to call five people who have not been in church. That's not much. Just five calls. But I'm trying to make that commitment. It's amazing how one phone call to one person who's been gone for a little while, uh, an expression of of concern, uh, asking, how are you? Is there anything we can do? Listening to them if they're mad because they were gone for a long time and they haven't been missed and and just taking it. It's it's amazing how, how that restores people. Everyone wants to be missed. Everyone wants to count, don't they? And it's amazing how a little phone call can do that. I'm writing more notes. I am shaking more hands on Sundays. Although, don't look for me after second service. (laughs) Relational schmational. (laughs) I am trying to do things, though, that have strengthened my relational muscles and forced me to slow down and be with one person at a time. Because that's the way Jesus was, one person at a time. 
And I'm not the only one that's doing this. My whole team is talking about this, and, and we're focusing on this and paying more attention. And the language of relational is just one of our buzzwords right now. But I realized I'm the one that needed it the most. And I'll confess that telling this to you all makes me nervous. It, it really does make me nervous. Because I am, in fact, only one person. And it is not possible for me to shepherd every member of this congregation. And, in fact, I think it is a good thing that a church learns how to take care of itself. I think that is what the church should be, don't you? I mean, you ought to be taking care of one another. That is what the church at its best should look like. That you care for the person in the pew. You care for the people in your life group. All of those, that's the way I want it to be. And we have elders and we have deacons and we have lay people that have a passion for this ministry of compassion. And that's a good thing. And most of all, I'm nervous because I'm afraid that in telling you these things, I'm going to set up expectations that I cannot realize. I'm going to raise expectations that I cannot possibly fulfill. So this is one of those confession moments that just scares the we out of me. But as I look ahead to the next 10 years of our life together, I want the Holy Spirit to make me into a better shepherd. And I want to raise up a church full of better shepherds. I want to raise up a church full of under-shepherds who, who are called into ministry with me to reach out and to care for one another. And ironically, the better job that I do at that, as raising up shepherd leaders, folks who really care for the person next to them in the pew, the less shepherding I'm going to have to do. Because you guys are going to hog it all before I get a shot at it. And that is the ideal situation. We dream of a time, I dream of a time when every person in this church is a part of a, of a life group, a community that is being led by an intentional, caring, relational shepherd who notices when they're gone, notices when they're upset, who reaches out to them and develops a team of people to do the same. So that by the time, I, by the time you've been gone for a couple of weeks, someone else is already calling you. It's too late for me. You've already been on top of it. That's what we ought to be. That's what I dream of us being. But we're not there yet. And I want to be that kind of pastoral along the way. So if I call you and say, oh yeah, well I already got a call. We don't need you. Thanks. That'd be awesome. <laughs> That'd be awesome. We're covered. We got it. We're good. That would be awesome. I want to be a shepherd. I don't want to be a rancher. Now, I'll tell you the truth. I want to be the shepherd of a big flock. I like that. I want to be a shepherd of a lot of sheep. But I still want to be a shepherd who looks out upon the congregation in the way that Jesus did and sees them with eyes of compassion, not as projects, but as precious souls one by one entrusted to my care. So I spent a lot of time in confession this morning, and I've told you before that the thing about sermons is i got to preach it to me before I preach it to you. Or really, more accurately, the Holy Spirit preaches it to me before He preaches it to you. And I would say that Cindy and I would both tell you that over these last months, that the Holy Spirit has been preaching this to us together. We are asking, what does it mean for us to live in greater, a deeper, more intimate relationship with people? Jesus made disciples by really being with people. And it's not like he didn't produce in the process. Look at this last week of activities. He was getting stuff done. He was a pretty good multitasker. But I have the sense that whatever he was doing, however much he was doing, there was always the sense that whatever person he was with at that time, 
they had his undivided attention. Don't you think that? They knew he loved them. They knew he cared for them. They were surrounded by thousands, and they knew that Jesus cared for them. That's who I want to be. That's who I long for us to be. Really listening, really looking into people's eyes, really, really paying attention. The great shepherd who touched thousands of lives one person at a time. So do you want this for yourself? Do you, do you want this for your church? Do you want to be this kind of a people? A, a church full of shepherds? And do you want to be that in relationship with those who are around you? Do you want to be the kind of person who is with people or just around people? There's a difference. Do you want to be with them? Do you want to be around them? Do you want to be a manual to them or not? When a person answers your question, do you really listen to them or do you view that as opportunity to reload? Preparing the next thing you're going to ask or say. Do you really listen? Do the people who know you best, your spouse, your husband, your wife, your kids, your friends, would they say that when you are present that they have your undivided attention, your undivided interest? When was the last time that you were in the home of someone else in your life group? When was the last time you had a lunch or a coffee with someone that you have met in church just to check up on them and see how they're doing? When was the last time you sent an email to someone and said, you know, the Lord placed you on my heart today. And I just want to let you know I'm praying for you. When was the last time you do that? How much would that cost you to do that? How hard would it be to stretch that relationship muscle just that much? What is one thing you would go out today to do? One person, one contact, one thing you could do today that would grow you as a shepherd of God's people. If you're going to live lives of discipleship and disciple making, it starts with relationship. It starts with being with people. And so I would just ask you the question I ask myself. Are you willing to change your habits so you might change your heart? Are you willing to change your habits so that you might change your heart? Will you ask the Holy Spirit to give you a genuine passion to know and to be known by those who matter the most to you and to whom you matter dearly? If you will do that, then that will be the start of a life of fruitful disciple-making. Without it, forget it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Does this ring true for you? Let's ask the Lord to help us be those kind of people. Lord, we've always been a friendly church, and that's good. But I think you call us to more than friendliness. You call us more than to warm greetings as people come in from the parking lot or a nice hi during the family greeting times in the service. I think you call us, Lord, to actually really care, to initiate relationship with people, to invite to coffee, to invite to lunch, to follow up on a prayer request, to remember what is broken and ask them how it's healing. I want to be that kind of a shepherd. I long for us to be that kind of a church. And I'm convinced that if we become that kind of a church and continue to grow as that kind of a church, that these lost and lonely lambs are going to beat a path to our door because they long to be known and loved. 
So make us your people, great shepherd, that we might love them as you have loved us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.